Okay, motherfucker! What are you looking at, sir? I'm looking at you, miss. not the Zodiac. And if I was, I certainly wouldn't tell you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Decade Project. I'm your host, Blake Howard. This is the One Heat Minute Productions exclusive or probably early rather than exclusive Patreon podcast where we look back 10 years ago to the films, particularly when I start the shortlist, uh, the group of films that I'm excited about, the t- the films at the time that they were released, I was really chuffed on and still keeping my list. And I go back and I take a great guest along with me to talk about how they landed at the time, how or if they continue to resonate and really have they had any impact. And I think after 10 years, we always have these conversations where we look back and we, especially for something like awards, because it seems like people are already talking about awards at the time that we're recording this, that I feel like 10 years later, you really get a sense of whether a movie has had a cultural impact. Today, I'm talking to one of my favorite, wonderful um, Scott Australian, his self-proclaimed Scott Australian voices <laughs> in the Australian film culture world and the international film culture world. Um, my dear friend, Stephen Russell. Hello, Stephen. I wish I could go back 10 years when I look at my white beard. <laughs> <laughs> I was I'm, ginger bearded then. <laughs> you were ginger bearded when we knew each other, which is about 10 years ago. I like ginger beard, none of this gray, all these Zoom chats I have with people, Stephen. I just keep looking at how gray I'm getting, and people are like, No, you're so young. I'm like, No, I don't feel it. But, um, extremely talented writer who's recently written about the the movie that we're going to cover today today we're going to cover a movie that absolutely floored me at the time um and went on to spawn its own series and we're going to have a whole bunch of conversations about all of that kind of stuff um particularly important film to two australians um right now um that as the dialogue around australia is an indigenous voice to parliament um this film is made by australians Australia, who I think is most one of the best Australian filmmakers working today, if not the best, my favorite Indigenous filmmaker of all time, um, and he has definitely tough competition. I think he's completely underrated. The Maverick, the man about town himself, Ivan Sen's Mystery Road.
Stephen, let's start. Mystery Road 2013. Did we see this at Sydney Film Festival together? I, I think wanna... we might have. I was trying to remember exactly where I saw it, but I'm pretty sure it probably would have been Sydney Film Festival. I've, because I it opened the festival, right? It opened it, That was yeah. its Australian debut. Yes. I, I have a really, I have a vivid memory of us drinking, actually, around that time. <laughs> drinking I mean, whiskey, possibly. Who, who could whiskey, say? So, who, who could say? Um, but I have, a, no, I have a distinct memory of us just like having a blast, a bunch of, our extended friend group um, at the time, lots of us were in Sydney at the time. Sydney Film Festival had really, you know, Stephen's a Melbourneian usually um, when he's not traveling around the place. And MIF, Melbourne International Film Festival for international listeners, is usually or had for the longest time had had probably the most incredible lineup of Australian films. Although Sydney Film Festival had gone on for a little bit longer and been a bit more prestigious, Melbourne's programming used to trump Sydney very consistently, at least for the pre- preceding, you know, couple of decades. And around 10 years ago, it was probably 10 years ago, maybe 12, um, Sydney Film Festival had a bit of a shakeup of its programming team and it just like reinvigorated the entire film community here and around the country because the lineup started to be crazy and they started to really have a beautiful mix of Australian international and just monstrous films that people wanted to see and, and, and really got hot on the heels of some of the big things out of Cannes. And I remember opening uh, the film festival was mystery road. And um, uh, I, I had been a fan of Ivan Sen's since beneath clouds, which I really loved. He's a, he's got a terrific resume of films, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, but I remember seeing this film and it did everything that I was not expecting and I loved every single bit of it. So I, 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 I can't wait to hear, you know, what, what your preliminary experience with the movie was, was it, did it floor you immediately from the time that you saw it? It absolutely did. I mean, it, there's just, there's a few key things that absolutely is easy to hook me in on. And there's a nice kind of, I think one of the things I love about Ivan and when you look at his career as a whole, he's really interested in genre, but quite a lot of different genres. Yes. And Mystery Road just really hits on a number of levels. So on one hand, it's quite obviously working some of the beats of, you know, crime noir. You've got Jay Swan as the kind of, I mean, at this point, and in the first film, he's he's not completely downtrodden yet, but he's on he's on the way there, right? Yes. And he's he's obviously you know had some time in the big city, but he's back, and his hometown where pretty much nobody wants him to be, <laughs> and I don't think he wants to be there either. So you know, there's there's that element, but there's also you know Ivan's also really working the western. There's that idea of the the lonesome cowboy riding into town. So you've got that you know with the the, the, you know the Australian bush you know that kind of iconic imagery really really taps into that kind of mythology as well and then you've also got just for you know I, I know we are both big fans of the horror genre but with he rather than just playing either one of those in a kind of straight way he also just throws in these little hints at possible supernatural stuff like the whole way through the film there's this there's these signs of a of, of some kind of giant dog which we never see it never goes anywhere it's just no. lots of little you know literal bike and bite and claw marks but again <laughs> it's just he he's doing this really clever job of stitching together lots of different genres and also you know i was really lucky to to have a kind of retrospective chat with him recently about the film and 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 he he says that actually one of the first keystones of of writing it was was actually Huckleberry Finn, and that idea of wow. these places of adventure on on the edges of civilization. And 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 when he was a kid, you know, he kind of lived on the outskirts of town, and and rather than go inwards, he was always you know, running off with his mates, getting shouted at by farmers for, you know, <laughs> going AWOL on their on their ground. And I, and I think you do get that sense of 
adventure as well you know but also and just i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna wrap this up now but i I forgot about this film all day go on go on but you know some people hung a little bit of shit on this film saying that it's too slow and i actually really love that it also has this meditative pace that it is very much about the interior of character you know, I sit against that vast exterior that 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 Jay is moving through, and I, I really value that it does the old school detective work of him really, you know, doing the beat. Like it feels believable that he's going around town, talking to everybody, getting bits and pieces of information. Some of it red herrings. You know, as I said, he's not he's not well liked other than bless the late great um Uncle Jack Charles. It's about the only person <laughs> who seems happy to see him. Nephew, um, Uncle Jack Charles. So oh my god, how much can one man walk into a film for two tiny scenes and just you know light it up? But yeah, t- so it takes its time, but then it gets to this cracking shootout, and, that, and it feels earned you know it feels like we're built to this it's you also so, yeah, part, I love it. <laughs> I, I, in a nutshell i love it um i was just gonna say when i look at the reception of the film preliminarily and uh, there's a lot of uk and australian critics that are in the sort of top list top of the t- tippity top list of people right at the time it was very well liked um talked yep. about the the evocative use of obviously the Australian culture, but genre. And I think one thing I really wanted to touch on with you because it got it today a lot more than other watches that I've done recently um, because I was watching some old hammer horrors fairly recently for one of our other podcasts, Imprint Companion. I was watching some hammer adjacent horrors and there's that really great UK thing. And it happens all the way from, you know, hammer all the way you know sort of it happens in 18th century victorian horror film you know films and novels and then it also happens later in even something like american werewolf in london which is going into a town and everyone in the town is freaking possessed or weird and the town the entire town is a hostile force and i love that about this movie is because it has this beautiful blend of sort of australian eccentrics um, at the same yeah. time as having this pervasive thing that every single person in the town is hostile against Jay. And that can be a service to the literal, you know, sort of political commentary of the character and the contradictory nature of like a black fella cop because of yep. the way that indigenous people have been persecuted in this country since its inception. But it's also just that great thing of like in some detective films and noir novels and crime fiction you get these great interrogation scenes. And I feel like this entire movie is a gigantic sequence of just these very unceremonial interrogations. And it is wonderful because like every one of them, everyone has an agenda and everything, like you said, it just sort of layers on and builds and the red herrings happen, but it doesn't feel like it's taking the Mickey with you or trying to intentionally obfuscate what it's doing. It feels like it's so like, this is just the town. These people don't like talking. They don't like talking about who they are. They don't want to get then anyone's nose out of joint. It just happens. And so I, I, I think, yeah, it's just another marvelous mix of like, I'm going to throw all these things into a blender. And Ivan said is the only guy that can, can kind of make all of this really, really sing. Absolutely. And, and, you know, there's obviously there's precedent for that, you know, aggro outback town you don't want to be in, you know, we're thinking <laughs> of things like Wake and Fright. Wake and Fright. But he, number one, you know, Wake does, and Fright. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the one you go to, but, <laughs> but it does, it doesn't feel like, a, like he's kind of working off that template. It really does feel as you say, like he's pulling a lot of different influences together. And I really love that you pick up, you know, that that dialogue of what a cop means. So when, interestingly, Ivan, we had we had when we had the chat, he told me that the first idea was to actually set it in Redfern in Sydney. Yes. And so he was going to be a city cop. But but I do think that locating it in a in a much smaller place where everyone knows you and everyone knows your business actually gives it a lot more. And you know, and as I say, he's copping it from all sides. So there's, you know, he's getting in trouble for 
you know, I think one of the guys says at, at some point, you know, are you like one of those trackers that turns, you know, and yeah. so he's got fellow First Nations people accusing him of being treacherous. Then none of the cops really want him there and they're all yep. pretty racist as well. You know, his ex-wife is just like, oh, now you show up 10 years late. What, what <laughs> You think you're just going to walk back into your daughter's life. You know, he's not. There's no, there's no port in this storm for him, no. which makes him... You know, and and he brings such charisma. He could so easily be, like he's a he's a surly enough character, but Aaron Pedersen is not capable of being on screen without him exuding kilowatts of charisma. So, <laughs> you know that in itself kind of transforms the character by by who's playing him, which obviously then becomes interesting when someone else eventually plays yeah. Jace One as well. Yeah. And I feel like at this time, so definitely from the Sydney Australia Film Collective, I felt like a lot of people really enjoyed this. But at the same time, I yep. also felt that like air of snobbery with some of our more artistic filmmakers that this was Ivan Sen's like most mainstream thing. Like what's Ivan Sen and Aaron Pedersen doing in this like what are they doing and I felt like I was like no this is genre had kind of become a dirty word in our country specifically because of the you know it, it, just for context for again international yeah, the, listeners the, the, mostly and maybe if you're not familiar the Australian film landscape transformed a great <laughs> book by David Stratton uh, another great Australian film critic wrote called The Avocado Plantation which basically was like Tax, due to tax breaks, our, our film industry exploded around the Australian new wave. Sometimes you got Peter Weir, other times you got really dumb, you know, genre films. And for the longest time, people were like trying to distance us, make us like high art cinema rather than this kind of low art. And I just love that, like, who the guy who I think is Australia's best working filmmaker was like, no, like, that genre is a means to tell a great story. It gives you an infrastructure or a scaffold that allows people to enter what you're going to say. And then it can just be absolutely overstuffed with amazing visuals, politics, socioeconomic commentary, and then, but it's also entertaining um, and it doesn't absolutely. have to just be boring. And, and so I feel like at the time also, it's only now with years going forward that a lot of people have looked back on this and gone, no, actually, this is this is not this is not an, uh, a dismissive kind of like more mainstream escape. This is actually an exemplar. This is how we should do genre in this country. Absolutely, and I think it's really you know the the decade framing is really useful because I think it has actually kicked off a really strong decade in Australian yeah. cinema where we have actually really embraced genre and we've you know we've seen a whole bunch of incredible films whether it's you know things like sweet country animal kingdom you know there's there's this whole train in the last whole 10 train. 15 years of films that are really doing both and showing that you know i hate this you know elevated conversation because it it it, it kind of misses the point it, you know, the, these were as you say always incredible storytelling tools that allow you to to look at all sorts you know whether it's sci-fi looking at you know racism or 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 or, or indeed here a detective western horror movie <laughs> like, yeah you know looking at things that's going on now and really getting in amongst the weeds of it and yeah and it's also i mean the cracking opening of this film i'd kind of you know i watched it i watched it maybe two or three months ago and then I watched again tonight, you know, last night, and just that that remarkable shot of the the truck thundering yeah. along, yeah, the road, and it's it's either dawn or dusk. I don't think we ever a hundred percent find out, but you know, it's it's in the it's night is giving way one way or the other, and you know, just even seeing that truck grind to a halt, and the driver come out with a big, you know, metal kind of what do you call that i don't know a big metal stick and you're like what is going on here and you know he's hitting all the truck you know he's hitting the wheels and there's half of me expecting a monster to come out <laughs> from under this truck 
And then what actually happens is he obviously discovers the body of poor Julie and that, you know, that is the star. And, and one, one thing I really love about Julie, right? So she, she fits a certain trope in that she, you know, we she is the female body at the start of the story. But what I do think Ivan puts a lot of care into is to find out a little, rather than her just being a body and then that's that and then we go off on 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 Jay's story. You keep getting a sense of who she was, what what she was doing. I feel like Ivan puts a lot of care throughout the story to kind of give us little tidbits of her life and make her something more than just a victim. Exactly, in, in and, and who she is in the community. Because that's the branch yep. that becomes the tendrils that go out is because you find out who Julie is, you find out who she hangs around. And again, the interpersonal relationships and the close proximity to Julie and, and, and Jay's daughter and all those things yeah. all start layering on top of each other. And then the mess of the lives of all these people come around and how Jane knows her family and her people. And, and that's, and, and even that, Julie keeps reappearing in photographs on, you know, a decades old of phones, you know, of like, you know, little photograph selfies and things like that. And you see that she's like a person and she, she's a sweet kid and she's been dragged into this and the environment has meant become a corrupting force in that regard of, you know, trying to escape, whether it's yeah. literal escape or it's trying to escape because you, you know, you can, transform your the, your mental state or whatever it is but yeah no i agree with you it's not it's not just a body on a slab that starts a story and then go and investigate it's these haunting images of her and particularly for indigenous culture um uh, and and folks outside of australia might not realize but there's a real thing in indigenous culture about not only saying showing the images of people who passed away but also saying their names and and yeah. so that's an, a massive I guess, crux of even being an indigenous investigator is that you're, you're kind of constantly railing against your culture, even to say her name and show her face. And Ivan yeah. as, a, as an indigenous filmmaker is showing her face constantly and speaking about her past and, and, and I guess keeping her spirit alive. And there, there's just something that's so special about the way that he's willing to, to delve into that in this. And, and I think that it's, yeah, a, a, such a, such a terrific thing. It's so good. Like, and you know, I mean, credit to Tasma as well. Oh, Tasma in this I, movie watched... is out of control good. I I I remember I interviewed her on a red carpet around the Australian Academy Awards around this time. Um, she was there with her also very famous husband, Rove McManus. And I just remember the sort of saying, Hi Rove, how are you doing? Hey Tasma. And I just focused on just gushed at her about this movie. I was like, you're a mate. Like you're a, can you do like 10 of these? Cause you're a mate. Like where did, where did this come from? Like you're so unbelievable. And it's so, you know, it's, it's so great to go back and watch her and, and, and see how, um, see, see how fantastic, uh, you know, she, she grew into this. And, you know, one of the things, I'll, and again, I, I, I'll just echo everything you said about Tasma because I think she's one of the country's finest. And, you know, I'll, I'll watch this film again and I'm still luxuriating in the details she puts in and, and how Ivan, he doesn't overwrite backstory, okay? Like yeah. he's not, we don't have all the information of what went on with, with the two of them. But whenever they're on screen their whole demeanor with each other, the little things they say, you're getting a much bigger picture of their story together. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, Jay, as we progress on to Goldstone, we see quite a different man. Like he's kind of coming apart at the seams a little bit. Goldstone meanwhile, is, Goldstone for me, yeah. I have to just quickly jump in. Goldstone for me, which also opened the Sydney Film Festival, is easily one of my favorite, if not my absolute favorite Australian film of this century. Like it is, I mean, out of, it, it, it is, you know, you get, you get Jackie Weaver playing evil again. I mean, what's yeah, not to love? Like, like it's <laughs> the cast, the story. And, and this is the challenge that I put to anyone. Try and watch Mystery Road without immediately grabbing your Goldstone Blu-ray. Try. I've tried. Exactly. Adam and me have tried. And failed. And I, I cannot watch Mystery Road without immediately putting on Goldstone because Goldstone almost had me levitating about how good that movie is. It is one of the most powerful 
Australian films, I think, ever. And it, I'm constantly advocating for it. I think it is just so special. It really is. And again, you know, you can see that kind of progression of what he's doing visually. Because the other thing about Ivan is that he's a, he really de- he kind of embodies that auteur conversation, yeah. you know, because yeah. as his career goes on, he becomes, you know, it's almost easier to say, what didn't you do in the film, <laughs> Ivan? Because, he's like, you know, he's cinematographer, writer, writer, producer. editor, director, producer, cinematographer. Uh, he, he scored does the score. a couple of, he, <laughs> just like, like all right, come on. You're just showing off now, dude. And, they, and you joke with him sometimes and you're like, hey, man, did you actually cater this movie? He goes, oh, cool. And you're like, oh, shut up. <laughs> I know. He, he was joking that he's getting, you know, I think he's getting his son to kind of learn a few tricks as well so he can at least pass some of it off. But, you know, as we, the, the joy of watching this world, you know, because actually Mary, the character of his wife, kind of gets her shit together more than he does. And that, yeah. you know, then progresses into the television series where, you know, it's great that Tasma actually carries on and yes. you see both of them go into this broadened world where you can find a bit more about them and, and they're both on kind of different journeys but you know the the end the, the final we won't I won't spoil it just in case anyone hasn't but the final shot of mystery road on on one level is kind of a classic image of how you finish a film but it is also very much a hopeful portal there's a there's a slight disconnect but you get the sense that there's However much these two people have been through, that there is a there is a pretty strong core. There's a bond there that kind of keeps both of them just the right side of disaster. <laughs> and you know? I I think that's such a great phrase. The right side of disaster is exactly where it is. And I think we've just sort of skated around it, but you know, in a lot of the decade projects that we've done so far, we then talk about like, has the movie lived on? And I think more, perhaps more so than any other movie that I've talked about this year, you know, other than maybe big franchises, you know, one of the decade projects with Garth Franklin and Stu Coote, you know, both mutuals of Steven and I is, um, you know, we talked about Iron Man three. So we talked about that. So there's, you know, the Marvel of universe of, of, of course happens, but in Australia, Mystery Road spawned Goldstone. And at the time, it was very much looking like it would be a trilogy of films that would be Ivan Sen having this trilogy of talking about all of the socio-political issues using the backdrop of neo-noir. Um, and our mutual friend Maria Lewis calls it Yeah Noir. And that's what I, Which that's, I love. Now what, that's now <laughs> what I call it. Yeah Noir is what it is. But it then spawned a terrific television series. Um, the first series, particularly, was absolutely excellent um it's had indigenous filmmakers and voices all over it yep. then spawned into got a Warwick prequel. Thornton, yeah. Wayne Blair, yeah. Rachel Perkin, Rachel like, it's incredible incredible lineup of actors directors writers all across the board and then it's then it spawned into its own prequel series um which about- is a funny story in itself isn't it because you know Aaron took a he, he, he decided he wanted a timeout fair play to him of course. There's still talk of a third film. I really hope that that happens. Apparently, we're getting love, closer to that. For the love <laughs> of God, more, more, and I, and this is with the greatest respect to all those other filmmakers that worked on this television series in its varying capacities. There is something magic about Ivan and Aaron when those two no are together. Question. There, there is something transcendent that Ivan knows exactly how to get. As you said, the megawatt charisma of Aaron Pedersen exploding out of every frame of these movies at whatever point in his life. As you said, at the end of this movie, it's like on the edge of disaster in some of the movies, <laughs> in the midst of disaster, not on the edge, dancing with it in the eye of the storm. But man, if there's any, if, if we can speak it, you know, your lips to God's ears, like if there could be another, another mystery road with those two guys, a cinematic one, oh, I will be. I reckon we're going to get it. And you know what? Funnily enough, spoilers. He did say that if he does it and he feels like Aaron's nearly there, 
that it would probably have a slight genre step again. Yeah, great. So you might actually get a romance this time. That's what he was saying. He kind of wants this old cop kind of at the end of that journey who just wants to find a bit of peace. And I think that could be really interesting if we see that, you know, how can he, can him and Mary get their shit together? (laughs) I think that could be a great film, you know? I think it would be a sensational film. I, I'm, I'm, again, it's a character that I almost like. No matter what's going to happen, I'm going to be melancholic if it happens, because I will love how it goes out, and I'm sure I have the greatest confidence with Ivan as a storyteller that it would be amazing. But also, it's that like heartbreaking final shot of the searches, like when when Jace Wan gets his moment to like walk out of the walk out of that door or have his Tommy Lee Jones, no country for old men moment. I'm going to be a mess. I'm not ready. Steven. I'm not, I'm not I'm, ready. I'm not ready for it, <laughs> but it's, so it's spawned a life of itself. It goes mystery road, Goldstone. It really has mystery road season one and two. And then mystery road origins, which is a, it's, which is an excellent, really tippity top, well-produced show um, as well. And, and massive shoes. So to fill. good. Massive shoes to fill from, from Aaron. Um, He's really one of our finest actors. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it has had a complete life of its own. And, and I think a lot of people have gone back to this movie and see how, saw how it spawned the TV series and have thought about it as this kind of like serialized narrative. Um, and, and definitely there's a lot of great things that, that I like in, in, in that, but I've, I've always kind of been a bit of a purist. Maybe it's just because I'm such a cinephile that I'm like, no, I don't need the, I, I love exactly what you said about Ivan is that he doesn't have to delve into the backstory in a television series. You have to do so much of that. Like you've got to dive into every yeah. character and look in, in, under the microscope. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you have to, but I love the inference in the, in the spaces that he leaves in the movies, Ivan, the inferences and just the notes. And then the way he, the, he makes the actors occupy that space. That's just a different kettle of fish altogether. It's re- it's it's so good, and you know he he also, if you've seen his recent film Limbo, you know he also he puts a lot of weight into silence. You know, yes. so people are telling you a lot of information when they're saying absolutely nothing in an Ivan Sen joint. You know, there's also <laughs> part of the joy of him designing everything is that if you look around the the, the screen you're getting a lot of visual information from not just location, but what a set looks like, what props are there, what, what condition they're in. Like he's putting, you know, he's a kind of, it's kind of like Ridley Scott and Blade Runner. He's got this kind of obsessive layers of depth going on in, a, in every minuscule detail, you know, even like a kind of, I don't know how many times I've watched the, 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 the original film, the OG but it's it's easily 15 20 right yeah and somehow i'd forgotten about the the little you know kind of rusted tin sign at the start that literally just you know has the yes. name of the best the, the film on it and so i'd kind of forgotten that i don't know how a film can keep reminding you of these incredible little details and i just no. love that it's so great and also just some of the names he's so good with names he's like slaughter hill Slaughter Hill <laughs> Massacre Creek. <laughs> yeah, he's like Slaughter Slaughter Hill Massacre Creek. Slaughter Hill off Mystery Road. I'm like, are we what are we doing here, guys? It's so good. Like it's like just this shit so evocative and it's so fun. It's so it's got such playful energy as well. It's like it knows what it is. But uh, yeah, it's it's you know, it's spawned an entire series. And again, one of these things that we do in Australia for whatever reason. Um is we have this really frustrating thing that we do where we get like we look for excuses not to recognize homegrown stuff in in a way to sycophantically kind of praise international productions and i remember there was a year where leonardo dicaprio beat aaron pedersen 
I don't even think Aaron Pedersen was nominated, but like beat him, did the Great Gatsby. I'm going to look up the year oh. of the Great Gatsby. Because I, I don't just, even I, want to talk. Can we? Do we have to talk about? I just I want. I, it's the, the, it, it, all, no. This, it is what it is because it's the, it is a 2013 movie is Gatsby, and I remember. I don't think Aaron Pedersen was nominated, but Leonardo DiCaprio wins the Australian Academy Award for Best Actor for The Great Gatsby, and I'm like. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I, I just I don't even I, understand what that organization is doing or I what its reason for being is. I, I, can't, I can't understand how you could possibly say in any way, shape, or form that the Great Gatsby, despite the fact that it gave a lot of money to local producers, more power to you. Great. But I don't understand how you could possibly say that a film called The Great Gatsby, arguably the quintessential American movie and story ever. Oh, no. Give you give it to that guy, as opposed to Aaron Patterson. I'm like, what are like, we I've, doing? I've had, this, I've had this argument so many times, right? <laughs> I I feel like you're you're probably the only person in the working on this country right now who might support <laughs> me in this. But I have I have a hardcore belief that the actual within our own awards, only literal set in or diaspora Australian stories should be allowed agree. in the main prizes. Agree. Now, m- most people don't agree with me, but I'm like, it's ridiculous that we have a situation whereby essentially imported American productions taking advantage of tax breaks and sure, yeah, pouring, pouring money into the country, but still, they're in and they're out and they should not be winning those awards. They no, should like, not. Like, and certainly not in a year like this when we have so go, many good Australian films. Otherwise, go hard and just nominate Star Wars The Phantom Menace retroactively. You know, like, just give it to The Matrix, <laughs> Star Wars Episode One. There was a film it. that won two years in a row, and I can't remember what it was, but we, I'm sure this is a great scandal that one film was nominated in the AFCAs. Uh, not the actors, even, sorry, twice. So, You're gonna have to fact check me on that, Blake, I, I, but I'm I will, sure. It uh, might, is it the one with Russell Crowe, the water? No, yeah, <laughs> Stephen. Anyway, there's there's some it. some of our people in our community have done some more deep diving about the mathematical yep. impossibilities of some of the awards. Like I think in one year, yep. the Water Diviner and the Babadook won, and if you actually looked at the membership, it, that is impossible to occur because there's an odd number of members and therefore to say what was nominated for people to get equal billing and voting it's just like it's a just a rigged game like it's it's so i mean it's silly it's embarrassing it's embarrassing i'm glad you brought up the babadook actually because when you were talking there about the us you know this whole thread that you've really rightly identified of you know, post exploitation, that kind of sneering at genre, but then also that that idea that we have to look to America to to be validated. It's something that um, the incredible Alexandra Heller Nicholas, Nicholas, you know, one of our finest, she's wonderful, goddess, dark goddesses, talking about <laughs> horror in particular. You know, she said that that's part part of the reason why horror is having such a moment just now that for so long we almost felt like we 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 couldn't do that we had to to look to america for horror and then all of a sudden some of our brightest young filmmakers are just like saying nah stuff that i'm not going to go to america or fake america here i'm going to tell our stories i'm going to tell in a really distinctly australian way with the best uh, this is the thing i know you're an appreciator of it and alexander hella nicholas someone I'm desperate to talk to on this show. I will eventually make find an excuse um, to get to talk to her for anything because she's just so terrific. But there's something about the horror genre, which if you just go and, and I'm not the biggest fan of streaming just in general, but I genuinely think that the best streaming service on planet earth is shutter. And the cheapest. It's amazing. It's the cheapest. (laughs) It's thrillers and violence and horror. And if you that's not your bag, I totally get why would, you would never come across it. However, the visual invention, the different commitment to funding stories that have very unique stories of place and horror recently, and then the next crop of filmmakers that you've never heard of until they're doing a gigantic movie, they've all made something that's on Shudder. And that movie yeah. on Shudder, 
rules. And you're like, oh, okay. And so that's what I love about horror is that like there is such a rabid genre appreciative audience that is not above or below the art. They love the entire spectrum of it. There doesn't need to be this elevated BS that people talk about. That's yep. just like that. It, that's just, it feels like that's the corporatization of horror because people just found another buzzword that they want to apply to. And it's like, no, horror has always been high or low art, depending on the filmmakers that are doing it. The very best of the filmmakers who do horror eventually go off and do other stuff because they're great and they understand genre and they can really tackle any genre, some of it better than others. Right. But I, yeah, I think that genuinely horror is the place. And, and again, it's just like, you, we mentioned waking fright so much earlier. It's like, what is not fucking terrifying about Waking Fright? What is not terrifying about Wolf Creek? Like, we did, they don't need to be Americanized. It's fucking terrifying. Like, just make the exactly. movie. Make the movie, then make the show. Um, but yeah, this and is... Look, that, yeah. Well, that, I mean, that ties back to Ivan and what, why he's doing these things on his own, you know? And, and he quite often, again, one of the great curses of, you know working in within the australian film industry is that often some of our finest don't really get the financial support or the credit that they should (laughs) you know ivan i don't think he's someone who's out there you know crying over whether he gets an award or not but he will very much make films his own way and that's why he wants to you know, have a, have a really crafted vision and, and and work over the whole thing. And, you know, he's often working outside of main funding so that he can create these films that are really nuanced, that do dip between a whole, a whole bunch of different styles and stories. And I, I think that's to be commended. And I'm loving how many Australian filmmakers out there right now are pole vaulting over the the usual avenues to 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 make their stories yeah and you know it's no surprise when you look at his career and especially i think australian performers have good taste and they come back and they make movies like ryan quanton at the time of this movie and it kind of seems yeah. like it's forgotten right now but like ryan quanton was in true blood he was gigantic he was on hbo and he came back yeah. for what, like 15 minutes into the country. I think he might have been on a holiday visiting family. So comes in. I know. Like, I think I think it's like four or five days, Blake. He came he li- in. I think he literally, you know, d- got a break and he's shooting, flew in from America. Yeah. Flew did in. this because he wanted to do Ivan's film, right? And so you look at the film, it's then got Aaron. We talked about Aaron. We talked about Tasman. It's got Hugo Weaving. We haven't even mentioned who's I mean, absolutely slippery as a reptile. I love, and I love that that character, like you started this conversation saying that Ivan doesn't do what we think he's going to do. And so he does what he thinks, what we think he's going to do with with Hugo to a point. Yeah. And then he doesn't. And it's just really great. The kind of rug pull that happens with with that slippery cop. (laughs) So you've got Damien Walsh Howling, another terrific Australian actor, Jack Thompson, Hugo Weaving, Ryan Quanton, and then just other legends. We spoke about Jack Charles, but it's like David Field pops up in there. The legendary, speaking of great genre actor, the legendary Bruce Spence pops up in there. Samara Weaving at the time, like right at the breakout of her career, Roy Billing, phenomenal, phenomenal actors. It's it's crazy. They just all came in and were like, Ivan is a great filmmaker. I'm going to work with him. And again, it's something that it's, it's something that recently I know on a completely random tangent, but it's something recently that I love the extraction movies with Chris Hemsworth is I'm like, let the man be his charming self with his bogan Australian accent. Like let him be himself. And I think that when they embrace that, like they just come back in, they do it. And then I think that mystery road, all of the films, all of the TV series, it is just a murderers, a murderers row of like the best actors and performers in Australia that have come into that. And I just feel like that that's what Ivan can command. Like he just gets Simon Baker's best performance of his entire career. I would argue is limbo. One of my favorite movies. I mean, astounding. You've He's got wonderful. no, no arguments from me on that one. He's amazing. <laughs> it's like so and good. It's so I mean, Rob and- Collins and Limbo are beautiful. Oh, 
God. Um, so it's all those actors that will come back. And I just feel like, yeah, just come back, do your story. And then, you know, that you can bounce, you can go work in America or whatever, but it's just like, we can, it, it can be done. We're screaming out for these stories. Yeah, like Eric Banner, Eric Banner and the dry series. Like we're screaming for those movies. Like Australian audiences are screaming for them. And it's like, tell stories that are entertaining, tell stories that are genre stuff, get people to the theaters. We don't always have to have, um, uh, I think it was put two heroin addicts in love. We're done with two heroin addicts in love. Can we just make entertaining <laughs> something entertaining? Two hands, make me more two hands, make me more mystery roads, make me more badass, <laughs> you know, like, um, and, and, you know, something like the incredible talk to me, um, which, you know, has gone absolutely gangbusters I mean, this year. So what, what know, a great story. What a great, great story, you know, a great story, a great story. Yeah, I feel I feel really excited, Blake. Everything goes in cycles, but I feel genuinely excited because I feel like sometimes, you know, we talked about the the reluctance of some of the towering institutions to get behind anything that steps even vaguely outside their view of what an Australian film should be. But I, I do think even those calcified behemoths sometimes, you know, yeah. they, they can, they, there's only there's only so long that the 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 torrent of adoration for Australia just doing its own batshit thing yeah. can bounce off of them before they go. Oh, hang on a minute! <laughs> and so I do I do feel that we're in you know on two on 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 two different we're in a really great place driven by filmmakers and driven particularly by emerging filmmakers as well, which is exciting. But I do also think we're going into a really purple patch where we're finally going to see a little bit more support for that as well. Yes, and I, yeah. I do think we're in a really good place right now in Australian, in Australian cinema. Yeah, it's it's good. And, and I think some of the appetite is back. And I feel like, like you said, it, these ones were the outliers. But what we realize now when we can look back is that they're kind of the, 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 the flaps of the butterfly wings that cause the tsunami. Like these are the movies that started to kind of blaze a trail and get a bit of, you know, influence and and actually say, you know, and, and people like Ivan just working completely outside the system going like, I'm going to make exactly the movie I want to make. I'm going to make sure my investors get like this very small investment that they give back. And I'm going to give, get critical plaudits or even just like a highlight reel of actors that go, Oh, like look at my performance in Goldstone and then go work in another big gigantic movie because they were fantastic in mystery road or Goldstone, you know, like they just get another tick. Yeah. Great. Five days, Ryan, it's all I need you for, bro. Come on in. Absolutely. You know, it's funny when, when I was, I, I was lucky enough to speak to Ivan in Berlin at Berlin Alley earlier yeah. this year. And, and something he, something he said just really stuck with me. You know, he said he, I can't remember, I can't remember which of his earliest films it was. I'm going to get it wrong. So I won't guess, so, but it, one of his absolute earliest films, he basically said to me, I, I got, you know, the Berlin programmers got me before, anyone in Australia did. I was, you know, he, one of his earliest films was programmed there before he was getting picked up for any film festivals here. And that's sort of like in, remarkable, but now hopefully we're seeing a place where I hope we're going to get a bit more, you know, particularly we're, we're seeing, I mean, festivals like, you know, Adelaide, shout out to Adelaide Film Festival. They do a lot. They really yeah. throw their weight behind not only Australian film, but also genre Yes. So, you know, I think we're getting there where we're, you know, we're, we're seeing certain bastions kind of stand behind them. And ho hopefully that is changing and we will see a little more institutional pride in what our, our filmmakers are doing. Yeah. And I think also it's, I think MIF have done it pretty good for a lot of years, but there's like a couple of years there where Sydney Film Fest was absolutely in its purple patch for me, particularly where there were a couple of offshoots of the programming that were really embraced genre, both local and international. And I always found those screenings horror ones in particular, and all those things was always a, just a ball. They were wild. Absolutely. And they were freaking so like everyone who walked out of there, walked out of there on cloud nine. And if it was a bunch of, you know, film nerds, we'd all go out and get a drink afterwards and just be buzzing. And I'm like, 
that's the experience you go out and you want to just get knocked for six and have a really entertaining time or like be really moved or like and 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 be really ravenous to check out what that filmmaker or, or even check out the film again um but yeah i think back to ivan it's like 2002 is beneath clouds that's berlinale that's the berlin i think i'm festival. pretty sure that was but i'm yeah. pretty sure it was beneath clouds yeah beneath so, clouds because he'd done shorts until then but but it's beneath clouds is you know that that was one that I saw I saw that at university and that was you know that was literally around that time I think it was like two thousand three four I saw beneath clouds um, yep. when it sort of came out after that and 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 ever since then I've you know it's you just look at everything that he does and you're like God he's just he's just really a a, a sensational filmmaker um, across the board and just the sweetest guy like he's just a real sweet humble gently spoken thoughtful dude and yeah. he's just really good to be around yeah. honestly i remember the i remember after goldstone chatting to him with aaron and it was just it was just a, i could have sat back and just said nothing it was the cutest <laughs> thing to see them just dorking out with each other and having their little routine and i'm pretty sure ivan was saying then that he wanted you know to do that to complete the trilogy and Aaron was like, oh, I've changed my phone number. <laughs> so, and even then Aaron was still acting. He was just being a, he was just being a he was just being a piss artist at that yeah, point. But yeah. you know, there's clearly a lot of love between these two guys. And I really do I feel confident that we will see, you know, because I feel like the beauty of it is that you can have Mystery Road origin walk its own path and it can do that for as long as it wants, right? Oh, it, it, it's especially because with mystery road origins like all the inferences of um you know all of the past uh, between mary and jay and all of that stuff yeah. that you know being a cop in you know they can go to i guess to ivan's kind of like mood board of like what it was going to be and set the whole take a country boy cop into redfern like take him right there you know and 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 mark cole smith is He's a young guy. He's, fam he's and, fantastic in, and, in that role as well. Like you wouldn't you wouldn't envy him stepping into Aaron's shoes, but he but he does it so well. He did it great. And you know, in that series particular, Tuli Narkel, who plays Mary in that series as well, is fantastic. So it's like there's a lot of there's yep. a lot of room and they can just do whatever they want. And that's but you know, for me, again, I'm 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 kind of the I'm the I'm your worst friend to recommend watching <laughs> a television show to because I'm like, how long is it? How, how many hours and if people are like it's you know oh, it's 15 hours i'm like nah it's not happening that's seven and a half fantastic movies that i can watch and that i haven't seen yet yep. or seven and a half movies that i have seen that i want to watch again and it's not it's not going to happen um so yeah like but i i think it can totally walk its own path and this can live you know it can live because they've kind of done it all yep. the whole the whole gestation of it is that it's been out of sequence um and how, how remarkable is it, as you say, you know, just to jump by a marvel, but, you know, how, how many other examples are there of franchises spawning like this? And as you say, not just not just linear and not just even across one medium, you know, it's, it's a remarkable Australian success story that you have this, you know, live its own life in, in multiple ways and, and, and make yet continue to, you know? Yeah. And the original series of mystery road I, and i think all of them perform really well but i remember because it was i, f I feel like the first series was pre-covid so you know to, to sort of orient people when the first series came out it, at the time was the mo and i think bluey has now murdered it um, <laughs> um but that's totally fair because i think actually besides mystery road bluey is the greatest piece of australian art that's been created basically um was um, it bluey that bet that those people in, in mystery yeah, road yeah, was it bluey going around yeah, there dogs, savaging yeah. people that's i think we can we can claim that now it was a bandit that was for sure um but 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 prior to something like bluey even with all the kids shows the highest stream show on our you know government um uh, uh you know uh, our broadcaster our australian broadcaster abc um the highest streamed content they ever had was mystery road it was the highest rated on free to air like normal you know sort of um uh, uh television and it was the highest stream series ever that they had probably and probably still to this day is the highest streamed adult series other than blue yep. which is like you know the highest stream series in the world I think the only thing that beat it 
in the world was like suits which is insane because it's on netflix but like yeah you know, i don't know how that's happened as well <laughs> let's not go into the megan margle tar- let's not go down there just... we're not going there we're gonna move straight because on. that is but a vortex we will a... be drawn oh my God. there's a vortex but so at the time it's the highest streaming series so it's it's a phenomenal success and it's it's uh, it, it's, it's so great but i think the one thing i can say after a decade is for me I don't need any more of Aaron Pedersen as Jay Swan unless he's with. Oh, no. With and I don't think it would happen. Like, it'll absolutely be one and done the finale. And, yeah. you know, but even as if it does, the show continues, we'll know how it ends. And there's something, you know, there's something beautiful about that too. Because when you, you know, when you watch a story, when, I mean, it's like Romeo and Juliet, you don't get bored of watching. You know, you can be in the theatre and you can still be willing those two dumb teenagers not to, <laughs> you know. Don't get, fuck this up. Get, don't do this. <laughs> you know, and so it doesn't even matter if we know how Jay winds up. We're still going to be invested in his younger self and, and how he gets there. But yeah, there, nothing, nothing's going to beat that that finale for me, I don't think. And, and I do think it's going to happen because they do, they love each other very much. There's a lot of built up trust you know, um, and right Ivan's now, not, and yeah. right now, can you think if they were making something together again, a movie? Do you can you imagine the lineup of Australian actors that would be like, I'll fucking do anything to be in that movie after the? No, who's left? Will, I mean, no, it's only gigantic actors are left. It's like yeah, I think I think Kidman, you're gonna have like the battle Kidman, of Kate and Kidman, yeah, and- Kidman, Crow. <laughs> guy pierce like it's going to be uh, like if if he does it it's like it will be the most gigantic cast you could ever put together banner like everyone's gonna have a place five minutes or so five minutes in mystery road the final the final in the mystery road trilogy oh you're, you're giving me goosebumps i want to see it already i want them to be secretly filming right oh now. man Hopefully and they, they, prob- they probably are <laughs> ivan's scoring he's writing he's editing He's casting, he's, he's cooking the catering. He's doing the catering, he's got the cleaning sorted, you know, yeah. it's all good. Well, I, I do get that sense that he's a real muck in, you know, I don't think he's, you know, because you can say auteur and then you can get an idea of a, a kind of lofty, you know, don't talk to me kind of director and I, I don't think that's him at all. You know, he's on set really working with the, with the actors, with all the, you know, crew. I, I get the sense he would be a, a a a a good person to be to be around. Yeah, I think there's only one way that you make films with these gigantic actors and command that kind of respect is that he is a master at like four or five of the filmmaking crafts, and the one <laughs> thing that he can't that he doesn't dabble in is the acting but he's so good with story and the performances and crafting that performance and and giving a canvas for his actors to look and do their best work um i think that they would just love him because he's just doing everything all the time and the the sweet thing is as well when i have spoken to him about how he feels about the shows he you know he he they're they're not him Yes, but he went, he's so psyched to see that they have other lives, that other people, and that's the beauty of a character like Jace Swan, right? He he is that kind of ur text of a of you know he, he he there is something ancient and mythological about that that character, and that can be read in so many different ways. That can be interpreted in a million different ways, right? So he's not he's not in any way. He's like our Marlo. Guarding. He's like yeah, our Marlo. Like he's like there's gonna if there's not ten other iterations of it throughout the life, that's fine. And we, we just get to enjoy that Ivan's Ivan's take. If that's your favorite take of Jay, then that's the take that I want. Like that's Absolutely. the take that I want. And and he'll still exist. And I'll be still lining up to watch whoever tackles Jay again and some other fantastic indigenous actor that ever wants to like put the white hat on like i'm excited about however that manifests and how good is that white hat i feel like we could go on a million <laughs> tangents but you know just again and in, in, in terms of costume you know and how 
this cowboy and his double denim and his white hat and the white hat, what that might symbolize about this, you know, indigenous man that has taken a really unusual path and, and, and is going to come up with a lot of resistance and a lot of judgment from a whole bunch of angles. And yeah, it's just, it's just brilliant. And, and yet he's just going to shine as he walks, you know, into that blazing sunset. <laughs> Well, thank you for walking into this blazing sunset with me, Stephen Russell. You're such a pleasure to talk to. Man, it's fun talking to you. We've got to make another excuse to talk again soon. Come back for another decade project. For 2014, we'll get you back definitely to talk, but it's been so fun talking to you. Mystery Road, for anyone um, who hasn't seen it, you must see it. You've got plenty of content then to branch off into television spinoffs in any way, shape, or form that you like. Um, but if, you know, if there's one reason to, for me to have started this, this show, it's to, 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 to really, you know, hold on by the skin of my fingernails to get to 2016. So 2026 to talk about Goldstone again, because my God, <laughs> that movie is yeah. My favorite Australian movie of this, of this century and, uh, nothing has even come close. And I, you know, I, I'm, I'm actually right now as we're recording about two thirds of the way through the movie again, watching it for how, I don't even know how many times I've watched it, but I'm going to finish this conversation and I'm going to watch Goldstone and I'm going to gleefully imagine as we have that Ivan Sen and Aaron Pedersen are, are collaborating again and, and imagine what that could be. And I, I, I honestly can't wait. Make that too. <laughs> co-signed. Co-signed. And it feels like such a 20th century movie. It feels like something David Lean would have done or tried to do uh, when he still had that kind of currency. And even then he might not have succeeded. It's incredible. Cause like, if you, if you don't have time to watch all five seasons of Lost, you can just watch Fearless. <laughs> not a week goes by that I don't think of the ending of Gallipoli. It's left a mark, a uh, year of living dangerously. Uh, you know, and then something like Last Wave, even that's so uh, deeply embedded with the land and the story of the land, the story of the place. You know, I don't know that I'd seen very many movies at that point in my life that had such a down ending and they had such a you know sort of strong sense of folklore uh, 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 attached to it as that. And something always so poetic and lyrical about Peter Weir's work. Gallipoli was the first movie that ever traumatized me, and I don't think I ever really recovered from it. <laughs> and I'm still upset that they played it in school. Like, I don't think it's actually possible to make an, they say it's not possible to make an anti-war movie, but I think Peter Weir pulled it off. Because yes. no one watches that movie then thinks, I want to go to war. Uh, Peter Weir is the greatest director that Australia has ever produced. Like, bar none, hands down. Like, no yeah. one else has even in the room. I think you have covered some really titanic filmmakers and some really titanic films so far, but I I truly think what makes Peter Weir special and what makes you doing this one special is we don't talk about Peter Weir that way, and we should. Peter Weir is one of those guys who I don't get why he isn't a bigger name, why he isn't more in that rarefied air, yes. because I think film for film, he's one of our very best filmmakers. He has brought his A-game repeatedly to many <laughs> properties there are films of his that i hold very dear fearless uh you know uh, the mosquito coast i will fight somebody if they talk bad about the mosquito coast it's man i love that movie but in general i just think he is a special filmmaker a smart lyrical um hallucinatory filmmaker he's a very dreamy filmmaker and i don't think he gets his due you know, Master and Commander is one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, you know, it's, it's easily one of the best movies of the last 20 years. It's, uh, uh, at, you know, it's a grand scale. There's a historical backdrop to it, but at the same time, there's a, such an intimacy in the relationships. Uh, which I think is not just a great film and one of the last great epics in the truest sense. Um, I, I think is actually kind of a sliding doors change point moment. In, in cinema history. I think 2003, when that comes along and it is a 
an old-fashioned, you know, we don't make them like that anymore type film. I think if Master and Commander spawns a franchise at that point, the entire cinema landscape globally is completely different. That That's the movie that I wanted to see. Ten of those, you know. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, I know they're big fans of Fast and Furious and everything. And God bless you. But Master and Commander <laughs> should have been. It's one of those things, again, I... I am not uh, I'm not a seafaring man, sir. <laughs> but there is a sense of authenticity. There's a sense of really watching a, a genuine dedication to recreating history unfold on a big screen in front of you that, that you can't help but inspire just genuine admiration and awe. If you're gonna pick a film where he really brings every one of his skills to the table, it's Master and Commander. I think you picked the right one, man. Yeah, very excited to see what you you pull you pull out of this Blake that's right our next series is Peter Weir and Russell Crowe's Master and Commander the series is called Podcaster and Commander Mother's Day is almost here and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.